Amen. Good morning to y'all. Good morning. Today's reading is going to be in uh, Revelation chapter 19. We're going to read the first ten verses. So when you find Revelation 19, would you please stand for reading God's word? All right. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you this morning for bringing us here and granting us this time together. Lord, um, I pray that this passage will have the effect on us um, that would cause us to do what we see the host of heaven doing uh, in this passage. And that is worshiping you. Lord, we want to worship you, not not just uh, for an hour this morning, not just for one out of seven days, but, Lord, we want to worship you at all times and in all places. Let, let that be our, our mindset. Uh, Father, may we um, so realize how great you are, how merciful you are, how loving you are, how holy you are that our hearts would be lifted up in adoration of you to praise your name, to give you thanks for your mighty works. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Well, amen. I'm going to use for a title the words of the angel in uh, verse 10, which is just simply this, two words. Worship. God. Worship God. Um, and as I said when I was praying, you know, that's, that is not... Worship is not something that you do at a particular point in a service like, like we're in this morning. In other words, it's not like, you know, that, that part of the service that comes before the preaching <laughs> where we worship. No, it's supposed to be throughout the service, throughout the, the music, throughout the giving, throughout... Um, the preaching, the hearing, and whatever fellowship takes place, in addition to all that, throughout um, 
throughout our meeting. But then it's also not just a, a particular hour of a day. You know, we, we worship at uh, 11 a.m. or from 10.45 to 12 or whatever. Uh, or twice, you know, from at 10.45 and then again at, at 6. We, we tend to call those worship services, and I hope they are, by the way. I mean, that's, that's what we're here to do. But we just don't want to limit it to that. Because we also want to worship when we're in Sunday school. We also want to worship when we're gathered around um, eating the good breakfast back there and, and, uh, and the donuts and the coffee. Um, we also want to worship when we're standing around after service talking. We also want to worship when we go home and spend family time together in the afternoon or whatever it is we do uh, and just continue that right back into the evening. But then again, it's not just limited to a day, Sunday, one out of, one out of seven. You know, you think, well, one-seventh, one that's a pretty good chunk. <laughs> but, but not when it comes to worshiping the living God. Um, we're, we're called to worship all the time. I mean, that, in other words, that just ought to be our, our frame of mind. Now, if you don't do that perfectly, um, don't feel alone, because uh, we don't. And that's why the Scripture, I think, continually reminds us that we need to do this. And, what, and, and that's what we got here is kind of a reminder. But what's happening here is we, we've been going through all of these things, right? Talking, talking about um, how God would, would bring judgment on the world. And yet, in the midst of that, how He promises um, to keep His people and promises reward for them even through the tribulation of this world. And so the, the purpose behind all of this uh, ultimately is to drive us to worship God. And I'm going to go through some um, points here, several points here um, about that here in, in, uh, in just a moment. Uh, but that, that's where I think this book, as well as the rest of the Bible, <coughs> ought to take us into worship. In other words, we look at it, we ought to see how great God is, and just think, boy, um, we've got a lot to be thankful for. And God is, like we say, God is good. I mean, that's not just a good saying. You know, you say that out at the prison, boy, you get a resounding all the time. <laughs> and if you say God is, is uh, um, um, all, or you say all the time, then you get a resounding God is good in, in response. Uh, and I like that, but, but that's not just to, to, to say it and sound good saying it, but to realize that that is so. And the Bible teaches us that. It reminds us of that, that God is good. Romans 8.28, um, he, he even works all things for good to those who love Him, right? Now let's go through a few things here with that in mind. The, the whole idea being worship. I mean, that's, that's where we're going uh, you know, you've probably heard preachers say or, or Christians say from time to time, and, you know, if you don't like worshiping here, you're, you're probably not going to like heaven because <laughs> there's going to be a lot of worshiping uh, going on there. Uh, and I think there's a lot of truth to that because it is all going to be centered around God and our glorious Savior, right? All right, so, uh, and notice I'm, I'm going to point out, as I've done several times here, um, that, that there is a, uh, uh, there's a, there's a certain energy here. Look at, look at what John says in verse 1. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice. Notice that. We, we, we see that often. 
the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out. So this is not like a, a scene in a library, you know, where everybody's whispering or whatever. But when, when you're in the, the presence of the greatness of God, um, this is the result. <laughs> you tend to praise. So let's, let's go through a, a few things here. And I'll just say, my, I think the main point here is that, and I'll put it in a sentence for us. Um, God alone is worthy of our worship, having accomplished victory over His enemies and salvation for His people. He has accomplished victory over His enemies and salvation for His people. So, um, in light of that, and that is what we've been talking about all the way through here, and we're not done talking with it yet, Lord willing. Uh, in fact, we're coming to the, coming to the climax in the, in the remainder of this chapter. And, uh, and then in 20 and 21, the remainder of this chapter is, uh, deals with the second coming of Christ, for example. So, so we've, we've, we've arrived at the, at the climax. All right? So <clears throat> God alone is worthy of our worship, having accomplished victory over His enemies and salvation for His people. So here's the cry. You've got, you got the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Well, a, a, a lot of you here probably didn't know that uh, you know a little bit of Hebrew. Um, but if you've, if you've ever used the term hallelujah, that's a Hebrew term. As the term amen, uh, uh, although I think they pronounce it amen. Amen, we say amen, at least in the south, you know, amen in, in the southern United States. That's Hebrew. Uh, amen or amen means, means truly, uh, true. Something like that. True in the sense of, uh, uh, you know, let it be. You've probably heard people say, uh, may it be or let it be or something like that. Well, hallelujah is also a Hebrew term. And um, it's, it's the term you see a lot of times in the Old Testament for pray. It'll be translated, praise the Lord. And, and especially um, in Psalms 113 through 118, which, which the Jews of old would, uh, and I guess they still do. I say the Jews of old, I guess they still do, but... Uh, they would, um, when the temple was, when the temple existed, as they were ascending up the hill to the temple, they would be singing um, Psalm 113 through 118, the Hallelujah. It's called, um, and the term Hallelujah, as I said, usually translated "Praise the Lord," and uh, literally it means "Praise Yahweh," because the term that is translated "Lord." is the term Yahweh, which y'all are probably familiar with. That's the one we talk about being essentially being the proper name for God. You remember when Moses, when God called Moses to go to Egypt and uh, delivered the children of Israel, Moses said, Who do I tell him sent me? I mean, he's hearing this voice coming out of this burning bush that is, is burning, but it's not being consumed. So he, he's there experiencing a, a miraculous event, and he knows, he knows that he's talking to God, but he doesn't know his name. And he asks, I think rather boldly, he asks, and he says, Who do I tell them sent me? And God says in response, Tell them, I am. I am. And that's where this term Yahweh, Yah or Yahweh comes from. I am. It's, it's a, to be, a Hebrew to be verb. Um, and the idea there, uh, I think, when he's when he's uh, when he responds to Moses and says, "I, I am," uh, as, as is so often the case in Scripture, 
names have to do with character, right? Abraham means the father of many nations. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. So names have to do with character. Well, when God says, tell them I am sent you, um, I think the idea is there. Uh, in fact, he says, I am that I am. So the idea is that uh, he, he just is because he is, and, and he is independent from anything else. That is, he exists not dependent on anything. See, you and I would have to say, I am because my mother and father were, and I am because my grandparents were. In other words, I exist because they existed and so forth. But God can just say, I am because I am. <laughs> he, he, did, he didn't come from anybody. He wasn't made by anybody. He doesn't depend on anybody for being. He's the great I am. So this term means praise Yahweh, I am. Praise, or in English, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And you got it four times here. In verse um, 1, they cried out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. In verse 3, once more they cried out, Hallelujah! And then in verse 4, the 24 elders and the four living creatures, you remember them from, from back in chapter 4 and 5? They, they were around the throne. They were angelic uh, beings or you know, he, uh, uh, heavenly beings, uh, um, celestial beings uh, around the throne. Verse 4 says, They fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Here you got two Hebrew words back to back here. Amen. In other words, true, let it be, it is so. Hallelujah, they cry out. Praise Yahweh, praise the Lord. And from the, uh, from the throne came a voice saying, praise our God. And then you get down to verse 6 and you see it again. Uh, this time I heard, he says, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude again. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! That is, praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. So all of this loudness that is going on is praise to the Lord. So that's, so that's going to be point number one there, which is just simply this. Worship the true God. Because Yahweh, you know, when the proper name is used there, the idea is that it's the one true living God. The one who created all things, by whom and for whom all things were created. Um, that's the one. It's not just worship a God. You know, kind of like you hear with some of these self-help things. Um, you'll, you'll be better, you'll do better in life if you worship a God. The, the Bible knows nothing of that kind of nonsense. It is, the message is constantly worship the true God. The living God. They're not just saying, you know, praise gods, praise gods. No, that's not what they're crying out. They're saying praise Yah, praise Yahweh. And they're talking about the true God, the, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. The God of Moses, who instructed Moses to go and call the children of, of uh, Israel out of Egypt. And you can just go down the line. The God of David and Solomon. 
the God of Elijah and Elisha, the God of Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and on and on and on. The, the one true God. Worship the true God. I mean, that, that's the exhortation here. In fact, uh, that's what's taking place here in the heavenly realm. They worship Yahweh. Secondly, worship God for His salvation. Still in verse 1. Cries, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now, think of salvation this way. Y'all know I like to use this um, as a synonym. Rescue. Right? He has rescued us. That's the idea there. Salvation belongs to our God. And, and we saw that um, earlier on, by the way, back in chapter 7. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Chapter 7, verses, uh, that's in verse 10. So, it's, he's talking about rescue. And again, if you think in light of everything that we've been looking at here, what, is, what has been happening? Well, we, we live in a world that is full of trouble. And, and nobody, nobody escapes the trouble of this world. And it's more especially so for Christians. What I, what I mean by that is, uh, I mean, you might think, well, there are lost people out, here who have, out there who have suffered more than I have. That's probably true. But, but what I'm getting at is this. Um, Christians should recognize more so that we suffer in this world. Because we were told that. We were told that that's how it's going to be. In other words, there's a sense in which that's, that's the norm. In fact, I think you could say it's pretty much the norm for everybody, but that's the norm is, is certainly for the Christian, right? Um, John 16.33 that I've been using as, as, a, as a summation for the message of revelation of this book. Jesus said to his followers, In the world you have tribulation. That is part of life in this world. That is characteristic of life in this world. And it, it manifests in different ways. I mean, sometimes it's just the everyday stuff that we have to deal with. You know, somebody pulls out in front of you on the highway or something. Or, you know, broken relationships and families and homes and, and that kind of thing. Or maybe um, it's things like addictions or something like that. Sometimes it comes in the form of sickness and disease, cancer, other um, terminal illnesses, or maybe some that aren't terminal but do cause a uh, a level of suffering that the person has to deal with for the remainder of their life. Sometimes it comes in the form of persecution for the Christian, and even even for non-Christians in in some cases. And you're you're literally uh, often physically persecuted, if if not just ostracized, um, maybe not merely ostracized, but but physically persecuted, like like we are seeing. Um, happening now in the, in the Middle East and other places as well, places in Africa, 
in Asia where, where Christians are suffering persecution. Well, however it manifests, this life is full of trouble. So, as our salvation, God rescues us from trouble. And ultimately, He rescues us from all forms of trouble, those that are in Christ. It's, it's amazing, isn't it, when you read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and uh, they say, you know what, um, God w- will deliver us, but, but even if He doesn't, you know, we're not going to bow, and He's going to deliver us out of your hand, O King. I mean, I think what they were, their idea was that, look, even if we burn up in the furnace for refusing to bow to your idol, even if God doesn't deliver us from the furnace and, and we burn up in the furnace, ultimately we're delivered out of your hand. And that's true. God rescues His people. And so they're giving thanks for His salvation. Psalm 18.1 has a little introduction to it. It says, to the choir master. And this is part of Scripture. When we're, when we're reading at home, um, and Jordan can tell you that, that um, from the time we started when she was little, you know, I always make, them, uh, make her read these parts. You, know, they have, you have a tendency to skip these little intros and just start reading where the number one is, right? Uh, in, Psalm 1, in Psalm 18, verse 1, that would be, uh, I love you, O Lord, my strength. But that little... That little introduction before it uh, is part of Scripture. This is what it says. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And he said, and, and then here's the little number one, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is, what? Worthy to be praised. And I am saved from my enemies. God's rescuing power, the fact that God rescued David, drove David to worship Him. So He has rescued us. I mean, that's a, that's a reason for, for, um, for worship. Worship God for His salvation. He's rescued us, and salvation um, belongs to Him. Jonah 2.9 says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. I mentioned a moment ago, back in, in uh, chapter 7, Revelation chapter 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In other words, um, there is no other rescuer. Salvation belongs to Him. Salvation is of the Lord. That is, He's the source. There's, there's no other source. If you're looking for another rescuer... You're in trouble. You know, there's an old story that gets told. Um, guy falls off a cliff. And, and, and just like you, you see in these, uh, I don't know, maybe a cartoon or a movie or something. Guy falls off a cliff and as he's falling, he manages to grab this little branch that's sticking out the side of the cliff. 
And this guy has never, never, never been a, a religious person. You know, he doesn't believe in God. He's an atheist by confession. And in the midst of falling to his death, he grabs this little branch and he's hanging there on the side of this cliff. And he and he looks up and he has. I mean, there's no there's nobody. There's nobody else around. He has no no hope of help. And he looks up and he cries out. If there's anybody up there, you know, here's this man who's never believed in God. And he cries out, if there's anybody up there, please help me. And this voice from heaven comes in response and says, I will help you. Let go of the branch and trust me. And the man looks up and says, is there anybody else up there? The answer is no. There's, there's no other. Salvation belongs to the Lord. There is no other Savior. Isaiah 45, 21. God says, There is no other God besides Me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides Me. Isaiah 43, 11. I... I am the Lord. David read earlier from um, Deuteronomy 32 where he says, I, I am He. And then later in the Gospels, Jesus says, if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Isaiah 43:11. I am the Lord and besides Me there is no Savior, only one. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave Himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. So there's one Savior. There's no other. Worship God for His salvation. Third, worship God for His righteous judgment. His righteous judgment. Look again in, uh, in verse 1 where the cry starts, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God for His judgments are true and just. They're, they're actually praising God for bringing judgment. And this is what we spent the last several weeks reading about, isn't it? God's, God's judgment being poured out on the world. And it's severe. I mean, it's, it's nothing. It's nothing to uh, you know scoff at or, or, or have some kind of flippant attitude about. Severe judgment coming upon the world. Why are they praising God for His judgment? Well, He tells us, doesn't He? Here in, in verse two, His judgments are true and just. In other words, they're right. They're right. They're rightly applied. His, his judgments are, are rightly applied. Rightly measured. You know what? Um, I, I heard yesterday that this young man in Colorado who did the theater shooting, um, he got life in prison instead of the death penalty. Um, I, don't, I don't want to be misunderstood here, so I'm going to try to be careful in how, how I say it. Because listen... I'm a, I'm a, 
I'm a, I hope, I hope I can honestly say, I'm a lover of grace. I love grace. Because <laughs> I'm a recipient of grace. And I, so I don't want to go around saying, oh, you know, you, 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 uh, you ought not get grace. Um, but I would say that was a, a, um, a gracious uh, sentence. And, and with that in mind, I'm, I'm, in other words, I'm not mad that he, that he, got, that he, got, uh, that he escaped the death penalty. But, but, I, but I, I just want to be clear. He deserved the death penalty. If he didn't deserve the death penalty, nobody does. But he deserved the death penalty. But you know what? So do you and I. So do you and I. And instead, um, in Christ, what we, what we get is grace. But when God executes His judgment, when He meets out the death penalty, there's, there's, there's nothing unjust taking place there. And even though we, we see the, the severity of it and we kind of, sh- you know, are shocked or shrink back or whatever, it's not unjust. His judgments are true and just. They're, they are correctly meted out. They are correctly measured so that the judgment, the penalty, the punishment perfectly corresponds to the crime committed. Rebellion against Almighty God deserves death, eternal death. And so when God hands down that sentence, is it severe? Yes. Is it unjust? No. In other words, they get exactly what they deserve. And, again I should add, exactly what you and I deserve. But for those who are in Christ, because of what Christ has done in our behalf, we receive mercy. We receive grace. That doesn't mean we don't deserve death. We do deserve death. But we get grace. We get mercy. And you know what? Even if they had sentenced that young man to death, and, and I mean, you know, killed him the next day, killed him today, there's a sense in which in which judge, judgment would uh, or justice rather would not be accomplished. How many lives did he take? I, for, I forget the count. Uh, it, it was several. Um, so one life for how many? You know, I mean, man's man's efforts, and we we should make obviously our our legal system should make every effort to be just, um, but. But man's efforts at justice can only go so far. I mean, we're just limited in what we can do. But God's not. And His judgment is right and true, or, or true and just. It corresponds correctly with the, uh, and perfectly with the offense. So they praise Him because of that. Because there's no injustice here. His judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute. Remember the great prostitute? Or you, or you could say prostitute slash city of, uh, of chapters 17 and 18 that we just finished talking about in the last couple of weeks. He, he judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth. He mentions two things here. She, she corrupted the earth with her immorality and she committed murder. Second part of that. She ha- he, uh, God has avenged on her the blood of his servants. So, so she corrupted the earth with her immorality and 
she murdered the servants of God. And what they're doing there is they're, they're giving um, explanation uh, of why God's judgments, as severe as they are, why they are justified. Because of the wickedness of the prostitute. So the, so the penalty correlates perfectly with the offense. And they cry out again, Hallelujah! Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke of her goes up forever and ever. You, you see that um, reflected in chapter 14, verse 11, and then in chapter 18, verse 9, and then again in chapter 18, verse 18. It's talking about her, her judgment, her torment. The smoke of her torment goes up forever and ever. In other words, God's eternal judgment upon the great prostitute, Babylon the Great, is justified because of the magnitude of her sin. So they are praising God for His justice. He's a just God. We, uh, or David read earlier, Deuteronomy 32, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Paul um, refers back to that in Romans 12, 19. He forbids revenge on our part. In other words, we, we cannot take revenge. Um, that's not our job. God will. So Paul says in Romans 12, 19, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. But leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Well, that's, that's what we're seeing happen here in, in the latter parts of the book of Revelation. God is repaying. He's bringing vengeance. The writer of Hebrews also refers back to that Deuteronomy passage. For we know, this is Hebrews 10.30, 10, chapter 10, verse 30. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. So they worship God, and we should too, for His righteous judgment. There, listen, I've said it several times, but there's coming a day when God will set everything right. Set it right. We talked about some of that in Sunday school this morning. Reversing the effects of the fall. Fourth, worship God because He is omnipotent and sovereign. Omnipotent is the idea of all-powerful. Here in the, uh, in the ESV, the, the term almighty is used. Look down in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! There it is again. Praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. That is, He is all-powerful. We've gone all through this. Remember what we've talked about, the beast and the false prophet and Satan himself. Remember back in chapter 13, the great serpent, Satan. We've talked about all of these various attacks on God's people. The, the powers of hell, Satan, coming at the church with everything he's got. And who prevails in the end? God does. Christ. Jesus. Remember when Jesus sent the apostles out 
two by two, and they came back uh, all excited because um, you know they had power over serpents and scorpions and cast out demons and so forth. And Jesus said, "I saw Satan fall like lightning." Jesus emerges victorious. He is the Almighty. Hallelujah! Yahweh, the Lord our God, the Almighty. That is, the Omnipotent One. All-powerful. Nobody can stop Him. Nobody can shut Him down. When, when He purposes to do something, He fulfills His purposes. And guess what? He reigns. He's sovereign. Nobody's been able to knock him off the throne. There, there's, there's never been a coup, you know, that, that successfully usurped the authority of God. It's never happened. It's never going to happen. This is not yin and yang, something like that, you know, Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker, um, where you essentially got, you know, they always say that uh, pretty much that they're equal forces, but it always looks like to me in those things they make the, the, the evil, uh, for the most part, uh, evil side out to be more powerful, <laughs> even though the good guy a lot of times wins in the end. But th- this isn't a situation like that. It's not equal forces coming at each other. God is the omnipotent one. He's the Almighty. He reigns, okay? He reigns. We've seen that over and over in the book of Revelation. And the reason is because He's trying to drive it home in our hearts and minds. That He's the one seated on the throne. Remember that phrase we've seen repeatedly? What's behind that? What's the purpose of that? What's, what's the purpose in reminding us repeatedly that He is sitting on the throne? It's a way of communicating the fact that He reigns. Nobody has knocked Him off the throne. Worship God because He is omnipotent and sovereign. Our God is all-powerful. No one can thwart His purposes. He accomplishes all His will. He reigns supreme. When you read a passage like Romans 8.28, what confidence can we have that it's true? Or you can take any, John 3.16. God, God sent His own Son, only begotten Son into the world, so that whoever believes on Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What can we base our confidence on that that will hold true? What, what, if, I, what if I believe on Christ, and in the end... He is successfully overthrown, and because of that, I perish. It's not going to happen because God is the Almighty, because He is omnipotent, because He is sovereign, and no one is greater. He reigns supreme. No one can thwart His will. Fifth, worship God because He is faithful. Now, this one I want to deal with more tonight, so I'm only going to mention it here um, Essentially, what we're what we're talking about here is um, verses seven through through the, through uh, the remainder of this morning's text. So seven through through ten, somewhere in there. Look at verse seven. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. Well, there's a lot that could be said right there. Um, rejoice in God. Rejoice in God. 
and exult in Him and give Him glory. Why? For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Now, like I said, I want to, I want to uh, talk more about that tonight. Uh, but for now, just, let's just deal with the fact that it is so. Um, the marriage of the Lamb is, has come. The bride has made herself ready. Verse 8, It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Well, the main idea here is this. The bride, the Lamb's, the lamb's bride, um, still exists. Made it through this time of tribulation. And the day of reward has come. The marriage of the Lamb. In other words, God has faithfully brought to pass the fulfillment of all of His promises. Okay? Worship God because He is faithful. And I, and I want to talk more about the bride and the marriage of the Lamb tonight. Um, and we'll see more in a later chapter also. Um, and then number six, and this is the last one here, last main point. Worship God only. Only. When John sees all these things, and in verse 9, the angel says to him, these are the true words of God. And he's talking about the blessedness of those who know Christ. John says in verse 10, I fell down at his feet to worship him. He's talking about the angel. He fell down to worship the angel. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Let me just say two things about that. Got a lot more, but for the sake of time, I'll just say two. John's response there, I mean, to to worship, in, in light of everything he's seen, he responds with worship. His response is right. The object of his worship is wrong. He sees all of these things and he's caught up in a kind of, uh, of a ecstatic state, rapture, and he says, uh, or he falls down to worship the angel who is speaking to him and, show, and, and showing him all of these things. This, this, this angel is a messenger. I mean, he's bringing a message from God. And, and John falls down to worship him. And the angel says, you must not do that. Worship God. And we started out about talking about worship the true God. Well, we also must worship only Him. In other words, it's not the true God plus whatever. Worship only Him. Worship God. The, all of these things ought to drive us to worship, but not, not to worship anything. I mean, some, sometimes the way that you hear people talk about heaven, it's almost like, they're, they're worshiping it, right? Get so caught up in the, 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 the majesty, that we, the, the majestic nature of it that we read about here. And they think, wow, what, what awesome thing. But no, all of that is intended to point us Godward so that we worship Him, the One who gives. And like you hear so often said, worship not the gift, but the giver, right? 
and worship Him alone. He's the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. He's the only Savior, the only Rescuer, right? He's the Almighty. He's the one to whom all power and glory belong. And that's really the point of this whole book. To generate in us worship of the one true and living God and Him alone. Let me, let me say that a, a little different way. He should be the object of our affections. The, the, the primary object of our affections. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In other words, love God with everything within you. Nothing else deserves that kind of devotion. No other person deserves that kind of devotion. God does. So, there's this message. In the world you have tribulation. But be of good cheer. Jesus says, I've conquered the world. So yes, you're going to have trouble. Sometimes really bad trouble. But Jesus says, you know, don't... That's not a reason to fear or fret. That's a reason to worship. Because it's bad here, but you've got a rescuer. You've got a Savior who delivers you, like, like David said, out of all your troubles. So don't be like the guy hanging on the side of the cliff, you know, looking for salvation somewhere else. Trust Christ. Give your heart to Him. Would you stand, please? If you all would, um, please remember to pray for us um, out, at the, uh, out at the prison today. And then, too, you know, there are some that are sick. Uh, Jordan and, and uh, Leslie wasn't feeling well yesterday. And Luke, and they, Tiffany had to leave because Luke's not feeling well. So remember, uh, remember those as well. Um, Robert Gooth, not feeling well. Um, he's, in fact, he's running a fever this morning. Um, Pam is in Alexandria. That's why she's not here. But, but Robert texted me this morning. He's, he's not, not feeling too good. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's pray and we'll, and we'll be dismissed. Brother Buck, would you mind praying for us?